Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molum, and every week I will bring you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. This week, we're looking back at some of the most iconic buddy cop shows as we talk The Sweeney, Starsky and Hutch, and Cagney and Lacey. Three very different but memorable shows with memorable characters. I did tell you we've got more cops and robbers for you, and these shows more than live up to the billing. So, let's get started. And joining me as ever, it's producer Paul. Hey man, how's it going? I'm alright, thanks. I'm alright, thanks. How are you? Yeah, getting there. Bit of a busy week, but yeah. Yeah, really busy. I ran out of time, so I couldn't watch three episodes of Cagney and Lacey, and I'm disappointed by that, if I'm being honest. That's all right. I mean, to be honest, they were... um. They were quite long TV shows, all of them, right? Yeah, I mean, even even so, I, I, I like to make a rule that I should watch at least three. What was I going to say? Yeah, normally you might expect to find Cagney and Lacey in Women's History Month, but I wanted to put it in league and on footing with some of the more iconic buddy cop shows. I didn't want to just, what was the word, like pigeonhole it into like one month. I wanted to put it there and, and say it's up there with these other ones and i think it i think it stands up with with the others i think you said it right it's not like a women's cop show right it's just a cop show where that has women in it yeah they're the, they're the main characters it kind of focuses on them and 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 how they're trying to wrangle in a a predominantly male so they're in a kind of women in a man's world kind of thing and trying to navigate that predicament kind of thing you know just trying to they're, they're like uh what do you call them kind of like trailblazers yeah yeah and we'll and we'll definitely go into them being trailblazers and 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 things of that nature but we're gonna kick things off with the sweeney and this came out in january 1975 again i think january is becoming the new september we got another show in January and in 1975 again. But obviously, new listeners, if you haven't known or if you don't know what happened in January 1975, this is what happened. Knighthood was conferred by Queen Elizabeth II on comedian Charlie Chaplin, author P.G. Wodehouse, athlete Roger Bannister and cricket legend Gary Sobers. Pope Paul VI broke a 900-year-old policy by accepting a woman as an envoy from the Vatican. Bernadette Olowa was appointed by Uganda, which had 3.5 million Roman Catholics, more than any other nation in Africa. In Hanoi, North Vietnam, the Politburo approved the final military offensive against South Vietnam. If you don't know, the Politburo is the Russian parliament or the Soviet parliament at that time. Lucky Lady was in the cinemas and Please Mr. Postman by The Carpenters was in the charts. You know, I actually like The Carpenters. Yeah, I think The Carpenters are right. Yeah, I, 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 I do like their uh, mellow sounds and, 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 and groovy songs. I think, I think, I think they're great. Uh, obviously, they, they might have a stereotype for being too white or being too squeaky clean but in in and underneath all of that there's a very 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 good singer in karen carpenter for me i think she's one of the the best ever in terms of like singing and vocals i think she's she's magnificent and yeah they've they've they they yeah the carpenters yeah they're great man and obviously peace mr postman was uh 
originally by the Marvelettes, covered by many bands such as the Beatles, such as the Carpenters. So, uh, good song and a good group. The Sweeney now. So, this was a British television police drama focusing on two members of the Flying Squad, a branch of the Metropolitan Police specializing in tackling armed robbery and violent crime in London. It stars John Thor as Detective Inspector Jack Regan and Dennis Waterman as his partner, Detective Sergeant George Carter. The program's title derives from Sweeney Todd, which is Cockney rhyming slang for Flying Squad. Its very great popularity in the UK helped bring about the production of two feature film spin-offs, Sweeney and Sweeney 2. It was developed from a one-off TV drama entitled Regan, a 90-minute television film that Ian Kennedy Martin wrote for Thames Television Armchair Cinema Series in 1974. That part of Regan was especially written for John Thor, who was by this time a friend of Ian Kennedy Martin, with whom he had worked on the TV drama series Red Cap in the 1960s. From the very beginning, Regan was seen as having serious potential after the TV film scored highly in the ratings. Work began on the development of the series proper. Ian Kennedy Martin's idea for the series was to be mainly studio-based, with more dialogue and less action, but producer Ted Charles disagreed, and in consequence, Ian Kennedy Martin parted company with the project. Charles produced it on 16mm film, a format that allowed for a much smaller film unit than videotape at the time, and this made it possible to shoot almost entirely on location, which helped give the series a startling degree of realism and to use film editing techniques, which enabled him to give the show a heavy bias towards action sequences. I'm sure you would have picked that up, being uh, the cameraman yourself. Yeah, I, I really like the, the, the filming techniques, and they used, like, um, they had some really good locations. I noted one um, on one of the chase sequences where they had, like, someone running across a train platform and then, like, Dennis Waterman's character running on the bottom. It's, yeah, it's great. The writers were given strict guidelines to follow, each show will have an overall screen time of five hours, eight minutes and 40 seconds, 48 minutes. Of 40. It wasn't that long, minus the titles. Each film will open with a teaser of up to three minutes, which will be followed by the opening titles. The story will be played across three acts, each being no more than 19 minutes and no less than eight minutes in length. Regan will appear in every episode, Carter in approximately 10 out of 13 episodes. In addition to these main characters, scripts should be based around three major speaking parts with up to 10 minor speaking parts. It is a fast-paced action series depicting the squad's relentless battle against armed robbery, but it nevertheless includes a substantial degree of humour. For the time, it has a high degree of on-screen violence and it is unknown for several deaths to occur in an episode. And in the earlier episodes also, it features a great degree of hostility and mistrust between Regan and his senior officer, Haskins, who attempts to separate Carter from Regan in the first episode in order to help Carter's career. The main two characters were Detective Inspector Jack Regan and Detective Sergeant George Carter. Their senior officer was DCI Frank Haskins, However, occasionally other series senior officers took charge of the flying squad when DCI Haskins was seconded to other duties or investigations. John Jack Albert Regan, he's a top police officer, often frustrated by Scotland Yard's red tape, 
He's originally from Manchester and he has been in London for several years. So his accent has modified, but traces of his northern origins are still evident. I never knew that was a thing where that if you're staying in one place for long, you start to lose your accent. Yeah, well, my sister has been living in New Zealand for, for, for nearly 10 years now and she's starting to sound very Kiwi. Really? Yeah. I know my uh, I had a friend of mine moved down from Newcastle when he was younger as well. He's like completely lost his accent. And oh, also this guy that came from New York started to uh, lose his accent as well, uh, much to the amusement of his fellow Americans. And there's Detective Sergeant George Hamilton Carter, who comes from South London. He was married to Alison Carter, a school teacher, but he is widowed in the episode Hit and Run when Alison is murdered by mistake by a gang of diamond smugglers. Detective Inspector Frank Haskins is married with three children at boarding school and is Regan's immediate superior. And prior to the series timeline, the character had done national service in the Signal Corps in a major in, in a minor intelligence role. He's frequently seen at odds with Regan, preferring more conventional by the book policing standards. And there was, of course, a, a cinema spin-offs of the Sweeney, and it features some of the actors and characters. The two films have a level of swearing and violence that would not have been possible on the television at the time. And in the first film, Sweeney, Regan and Carter became involved in a plot based on the Profumo affair. British actor Barry Foster features as an Americanized version of Stephen Ward. Made in 1976, it appears to be set in the then near future, indicated by the line, the same damn speech you made in 1978, also visible on a wall in the scene where the OPEC delegates meet is a logo displaying 1979. And in Sweeney 2, which came out in 1978, Carter and Regan eventually find themselves going to the island of Malta in order to track down a group of particularly violent armed robbers who have been committing bank and payroll robberies all over London and kill anybody that gets in their way, even members of their own gang. Regan and Carter were assigned the case by their recently convicted chief inspector as his last order as he's about to be charged with corruption and in 2012 there was another film and it was moved to the present day with Regan being played by Ray Winston Carter was played by Ben Drew and Haskins was played by Damian Lewis and the 2020-2012 the 2020-2012 film I can't even say 2012 2012 film was remade in France as the squad also known as the Sweeney Paris okay the Sweeney I knew of the Sweeney I'm not sure if I'd ever seen an episode of it uh, but I knew it had like you know Dennis Waterman in it I think maybe Dennis Waterman was one of the kind of accidental main characters I guess where not as it not as any wasn't a main character but I mean like Han Solo versus Luke Skywalker kind of thing maybe I don't know I found him like a, a very good character in it a very kind of like I think the show would have missed if he wasn't there. Maybe, you know, it wouldn't have been as good. But yeah, like like you said, it's just, you know, cop drama, very action-based, uh, very fast-paced, kind of hard to keep up with when you're taking notes because it's kind of here and it's there and it's back and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of... But yeah, so it's definitely a good watch. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the episode I watched and, and, and thought it was like very... It was, it was kind of different for its time, right? Because it was like, it was very action based and it's very kind of like, it was, it was like a cool drama that just sits quite well now as it did then. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, I was talking about the techniques that they used. They, they, they wanted to be more 
risk and 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 daring and 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 take it outside more and really really show the 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 action scenes where they're like you're doing all these chase scenes and doing all these like punch ups and yeah i think most of the um well maybe two out of three of the uh shows this week were definitely chase scene they loved a little chase scene uh, so i quite like that yeah 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 and uh Obviously, Dennis Waterman was uh, iconic in this. Um, he's probably the one actor that, yeah, I can definitely pick out. I mean, this was before Minder, definitely. Yeah, I was texting you about Minder. I mean, yeah, Minder's in like a kind of league of its own for me. But I do, like... I do, I do like Minder, and I promise you, we will definitely do that show at some point. Celebrate the brilliance of uh, Dennis Waterman a lot more. But yeah, again, I liked his character as well. He was the kind of cheeky chappy south london character kind of plays the same character in almost everything right in almost every every i mean he's been in like tons of police dramas even since then but obviously i don't think mind is a police drama per se no i know what you mean but it's kind of because obviously it's it's based on them two and them two are basically doing everything they can to evade the law yeah and he's like a kind of security chappy dennis Waterman plays the same kind of character right i think we can probably agree on that but what he does he does it like fantastically well i have to say well why are you gonna change what you're good at no exactly i think it, it absolutely works and everything Earn your bread doing that style of of acting like do your thing man if, if there's a role where i'm thinking oh maybe i should start a buddy cop film first person i'm gonna call is dennis Waterman. <laughs> yeah agreed that's how he gets the bag by by being this guy playing this particular role and Fair play to him. He 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 did it well. And also, I did uh, notice a couple of cameos in uh, the first episode. I believe it was um. So Brian Blessed noticed him and Doc Cotton. Yes, yes, I wrote both of those down. It was Doc Cotton. I said, "Is this Doc Cotton?" I'm convinced it's her. Yeah. I, I, or was I... her name June something in real life? June Brown and uh, knock at the door from my. Son, there. Yeah, so it is. It, it was. I'm ninety nine percent sure it's June Brown, Dot Cotton, who is like. Yeah, I'm. I'm certain it's her as well. Yeah. So yeah, normally listeners, if you do hear loud knocking, then it's probably uh, producer Paul's son. Trying to trying to see his dad whilst he's busy. I mean, it's always. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the way, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's what it is, isn't it? We're in. We're we're doing this remotely and trying to juggle family life and 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 podcasting and everything else so yeah it's all it's all it's all it's all good in the hood though it's all good in the hood yeah if 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 he does interrupt then uh at least now you guys know why yeah (laughs) you were ever wondering so yeah right let's uh let's jump right into it and let's talk episodes right so like i said i watched the first episode i think you know what I would go so far as to say that you know I know this was shot on film and stuff like that, but I think this was like a kind of like kind of mini movie. Like every episode it was quite well rounded and. Well, it's a good job I found the Amazon Prime link. Otherwise, we would have just sat there watching ads. Because obviously, when the runtime on ITV Hub was like sixty-five minutes. Yeah. But normally, what I do with ITV Hub is I watch all the adverts first. It's got like little points where there's going to be adverts. You just click on those points. If you watch all the adverts, then you can watch it clean through ad-free, basically. So it's basically like taking a shortcut to ad-free, but then it was also on Amazon Prime Video. So And they had all the episodes. So I suppose I think 
because I think the Sweeney is currently being shown on ITV right now. So they're basically showing like um, the episodes and then they're putting it up on ITV Hub after they've sort of shown it. So I think that's kind of the deal there. But uh, the pilot was called Ringer. So uh, take it away with that. Yeah, so my first note was Dennis Waterman. What was the other show he was in? And then I remembered as I was writing that, it was Minder. So it starts off in this like flower van, kind of pulls up and then like this guy comes out, which you later learn is called Dave. And it's got, and he's, got flowers in the van kind of thing but then among the flowers you've got like shotguns and other guns and stuff like that it's quite clear that you know this is kind of like a he's got a sideline at least so dave bought the gun so then it kind of cuts to this like man who's like in this like dressing gown he's kind of getting dressed after what looks like a bit of a heavy night and then he's looking for something and he goes in and he's basically lost his car keys and he's and he speaks to his missus and he says look listen can i borrow your car because <laughs> i can't find my keys i'll bring it back in the morning and then so this is jack regan we find out carter is dennis waterman's character uh so regan is doing some surveillance on like a building or a guy or something like that and he's and in walks the guy who bought the gun earlier and he walks into the building yeah so he's doing surveillance he sees uh he sees dave who bought the gun earlier the guy basically yes the um so so the building they're doing surveillance on is a kind of basically baddies are in there and and brian blessed is like the main villain and they're basically planning some sort of robbery some sort of criminal activity you don't quite know what but you know it's big so so jack is on the phone you know like a payphone then basically these youths like steal the car you see him like kind of like walking around all the cars trying to doors and stuff like that and he just happened to steal that one the guys are going through the car that stole it one of them's called billy and i don't know the other guy's name they find the camera the photographs and the notes and everything like that and one of the guys takes it to the big boss, Brian Blessed Man. Mr. Kimball. Mr. Yeah, Frank Kimball. Uh, so he basically takes it, you know, try and get some points with him, score some points, you know, try and get some better jobs, basically. This is him kind of like, you know, working late, as it were. So the police go to, uh, so that's uh, Jack and Carter go to this guy who owns a war memorabilia shop. And he's kind of their, what do they call it? Narc? Is that it? Yeah, informant. Informant. Um, and he basically tells him that, you know, who the kids kind of were so this is where you learn that haskins and the big bosses plan to split car and regan up billy comes back to the garage and does a runner from the cops and they give chase this is like the chasing i was talking about where they go through the tube station like peckham rye i think it is um and they do some really really nice shots of this chasing they end up catching him and they kind of take him in and then the baddies find out that it's um this lady's car they don't know that it's um she's the the girlfriend of or wife of Jack Reeves, no, Jack Regan, not Reeves, and they go and see her. So they they, they call in a favour and they go and see her. They, they pretend to be the police and she kind of gets suspicious because obviously she knows that what the police do, she knows what's going on basically. And she gets suspicious, but then they threaten her and say like, um, you better tell me the guy's name who had all this stuff. And she does tell him. And then back in the headquarters of the baddies they're basically deciding are they going to go ahead with the job or not but the um mr what was his name begins with p mr rich man in the in the rolls royce alec prosser yeah mr alec prosser does and he's like the the guy that has nothing to do with the baddies but he's like head of the baddies and basically says no like this job is going ahead still don't know what the job is yet the police go and see this kind of fixer guy who was in one of the photos that they managed to find and i think he was the flower guy he was the guy that sold the firearms to the other guys right so the police go and see someone's missus and she's like 
and she owns a pet shop and she says like, like I don't know what's going on I didn't know what was happening but all I know is it's a big job and it'll be local knowing Frank Kemble so Bill, this is where Billy's mum goes to the police station because he's in trouble obviously from what he got caught doing and she basically says uh, she kind of says what's going on and yeah this is Dot Cotton yeah so she's not happy with her son hanging around with Frank Kemble um, so she basically spills all the beans. So she gives information on a guy called Ray Lindsay, who's in prison doing 12 years. But he attacks someone and he's been kind of retried. They realize that the job is a breakout job. So the Haskins goes to the um, Prosser's house to, uh, to arrest him. And then there's like this, the baddies are setting up the job. So they're kind of like, they get the, the truck and they, they kind of block the truck. And then the ambulance is a way to get through all the police blockades and stuff like that they they the, when they open the, the the back of the the police van to get ray Lindsay out out come regan and carter and then a big fight scene and then frank kemble like shouts over to to dave uh who's got a who picked up a shotgun um and then in a panic he turns and shoots him straight off this thing and it's like uh so it basically accidentally kills frank kemble um yeah and that's the end of that episode pretty much um it's like kind of really nice little chase scene and action sequence at the end. And yeah, I definitely wasn't expecting Frank Kimball to get shot in in that little exchange. It was really good. So I went on to series two, episode six, which was called Trap. And it starts off with uh, Jack Regan being questioned by sort of like his superiors about a botched operation and about someone getting away. There's a, like uh, some incriminating tape and it shows that Reagan was talking to someone who may have been like a an informant of the crime there's this basically someone who's like following them around just taking pictures of them just trying to basically nail regan on a corruption charge of some sort and regan is explaining to carter about being part of a conspiracy and being part of a, a case a few years ago and carter wants to help him but regan refuses and he's giving him like this piece of paper going look this is your way out of all of this I'm going to handle it by myself. You don't need to worry. Then he's basically telling him about three thieves. I think they kind of like robbed somewhere. Two of them was arrested. And there's basically one called Noah who got away. And he's basically, he's, I, I believe he's the one who's trying to like shop Carter in. He's trying to shop um, Regan in. And he's basically trying to get him in trouble. Someone calls the police station talking about how Regan is a naughty boy. We see that Noah is holed up in a hotel, but he's you're worried about finding out about him being found out and he's been giving evidence to journalists. And Regan decides to go see Noah's mum and she's missing her son and she's worried about his safety. Regan wants to go out with Carter and see what's happened. So they're basically going out, out, into a nightclub of sorts and they want to try and get the lowdown on what's happening but carter's like look i think it's a trap and it is a trap and they both get laid out in the pub and haskins is trying to get answers from jack and basically haskins gives Regan an ultimatum either you're going to talk to me or you're going to get suspended noah is basically talking to the journalist tommy and he's asking questions and tommy obviously the journalist asking questions of noah and all Noah wants to do is protect his mum. 
and he has to give evidence against uh, Regan. And obviously he's like, look, I'm not going to say anything until I see my mum or at least talk to her. Tom Tommy agrees to call Noah's mum for him. And Regan starts talking to a man about the incident. Was it Hooter? I think his name was. I'm not sure. And Tommy's basically calling Noah's mum. No answer. And everyone's getting worried. Regan is seeing someone called Manny. Yeah, and, and basically he's going to a, a minicab place and he wants to know if they were given a, a minicab at the time. And Regan is basically threatening Manny, going, look, you'd be part of this whole crime if you don't tell me what's happening. Noah finally gets hold of his mum and she's not happy about him being away. There's another criminal called Ernie and he's basically there to try and get money from Manny. But Manny doesn't want to give him anything. Regan goes to see someone called Mrs. Riley she's telling him about potential clues and Regan's trying to figure out where Noah could be staying. So he gets caught when he could be staying in a potential four-star hotel. Noah gets made and Regan realizes where he's staying. Ernie was the one that was taking pictures of Regan and realizes that they're trying to find Noah as well. And they're so far behind. So Ernie decides to go to Mrs. Riley's house and they basically just kidnap her and break into the house. And Carter and Regan are finally, they they get to Noah in the hotel, but Noah is threatening to like give evidence against Regan. Regan doesn't want to help Noah because of his lies, because he's like, I'll help your mom, but I'm not going to help you because you're basically lying on me. Noah's gone from the hotel and Tommy's like, I don't know where he might be. And so Ernie is trying to get a cab from Manny. But obviously Ernie's like, and Manny, I think they're business partners, but Manny wants to be legit. And he's like, look, I don't want to do that life anymore. And obviously Ernie's like, you better do what I say. And Carter and Regan run into Manny's son. Mr. Mills, the editor, decides to call Haskins about Reagan. And he's saying, look, your guy is bent. And Haskins says, okay, bring all your evidence the next day. And Regan's calling for backup because he's at the minicab station. Ernie is moving Mrs. Riley into a van and they're trying to get away. But the police back up, get there on time and they apprehend all the bad guys. Haskins tells Reagan to meet at 9am the next day. And Reagan's getting a telling off for not going by the book. But he gets his pictures back from the editor. Obviously, there's quite a lot happening in that episode. If my notes didn't make sense, then uh, I apologise. And the last episode I watched was Victims. And Haskins is basically wondering where his wife Doreen is. And obviously she's all a bit discombobulated because I believe she had a miscarriage. And this is a really interesting episode in how it's almost a reflection of how society has changed from whenever this episode was released, what, 1978? And obviously, he's looking at the shirt size and he's like, I'm a 16, not a 14 and a half. And I'm like, oh, you're you're the same shirt size as me then. And if I put on weight, then probably 17. Yeah, and then we see that Doreen is cradling a baby doll. And obviously, she's treating it as a baby. And meanwhile, while Haskins is going doing police work, he finds a bullet at a crime scene. And there's been a shooting. And yeah, that's where we learn that Doreen has a miscarriage. And obviously the doctors was talking to her saying that she shouldn't really be having a baby at her age. And Doreen is with her sister and they go to the cemetery to visit their mum. Regan is trying to call someone called D.I. Willoughby. 
they're basically trying to investigate the case and they're trying to look at the ha- person's house. Regan is basically going to ask questions and basically we learn that the person that was shot was a police officer. I'm sure I wrote the police officer's name down. I'll probably I'll probably bump into it later on in my notes. We see that Doreen is basically yeah, like I said, she's completely not with it. And she's going to an abandoned house and she's going to do some gardening. And obviously we learn that that was the family home that they used to live at. Regan and Carter are talking to uh, an agent of some sort and they give him an ultimatum saying that, you know, give us information. Oh, they're talking to a, a talent agent and they're basically saying what's going on, what's happening. Either you tell us what's happening or we're going to basically turn your place over. Then they go to see... Uh, I know I wrote her name down, Miss Fisher. Miss Fisher, Miss Fisher. Eve. Eve is her name, yeah. They go to see someone called Eve. Eve knows something about the person who shot the police officer. And they're basically trying to go find out. Then we see that Doreen is hallucinating. And she can see Haskins with a a baby boy. And now they're looking for a man called Jimmy Pack. And I believe he's the one that shot the police officer. Like I said, Eve knows him, but doesn't know where he could be. And Regan is going to Miss Fisher's house, goes back there. And she's obviously saying that the police officer that got shot was bent. And that's why he got shot. Joan comes in to see Haskins. And I think that's uh, Doreen's sister. And she's wondering where Doreen might be. And obviously they're all thinking, oh my God, she's missing. Haskins is doing a little bit of shopping. And it was very telling that he didn't know the price of milk. And I think it was probably at the time it was the housewife's job to go and do the shopping and do all the food shopping. And the shopkeeper's basically like, oh, your your wife was in the shop and she gave me um, a dodgy check. And she put her maiden name down instead of Haskins. Regan senses that there's something that might be wrong with Haskins, but Haskins doesn't want to talk about it. Eve is basically getting away from the police. There was a police officer that was tailing her, but she gets away from him as she goes in the cab with Jimmy. And he's obviously like, obviously didn't want to shoot him. And she was like, and then obviously Jimmy was like, look, I'm I'm hot right now. Maybe you should kind of stay away from me. And Haskins goes to see his son Richard at boarding school to try and find out what's happening. And he interestingly tells him about a poem that he's learning at school. And it's all about a woman who's drowning metaphorically because of like the the ways of pressure of life things of that nature and that's obviously is very very a similar case with his wife obviously she's uh completely doesn't know what to do with herself losing i can't imagine what it would feel like to lose a baby and having a miscarriage then Carter is going to speak to a PC and she's telling him about seeing Doreen with a doll. Haskins tells Reagan that he's applying for compassionate leave and that how his wife Doreen hated the police, hated that he works for the police and they had to take their kids to a boarding school so that they, in that boarding school, nobody really knows who their parents are and they just assume that they're civil servants. And Reagan is offering to help. So Carter and Reagan are trying to look through Haskins things to find some things that they could see. Then Doreen calls her house and Regan picks up 
and she's ba- and obviously Regan's like, "Are you okay, Doreen? Where are you? We can come pick you up." And she starts saying some stuff like, "My mum said that I didn't call her, and that I don't love her, and she doesn't love me." And meanwhile, Jimmy is basically trying to walk somewhere. He's going to like an abandoned factory. He gets made by a rookie police officer, and Regan finds out. Carter finds these newspaper clippings of an old abandoned house. And obviously he shows it to Haskins. Haskins goes, that's where we used to live. And I was a nigga, we should try and um, go to those old abandoned houses that she could be there. Regan spots her doing some gardening. Then they make the call to Haskins. Doreen has always kept the key to the old place. And Haskins goes there. He's trying to get Doreen to stop doing the gardening. And then she just basically, in a un-British style as possible, she just breaks down and starts crying, which is perfectly normal and perfectly understandable if you've gone through the most painful of of heartbreaks. Meanwhile, Carter and Regan are going to the abandoned place where Jimmy is at. There's lots of backup and the police are there. Haskin looks distracted and he's not really with it and he tells Reagan to handle it. Reagan tells Jimmy to come out with his hands up and the building is surrounded. And obviously Jimmy's like, you'll never take me alive. Boom, 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 shooting or whatever. So Regan goes, he goes and he grabs Eve and he tells her, you need to come to the scene and you need to get your man basically and and set him straight. Eve is talking on the megaphone and she's saying to Jimmy, you better come down. This is all the police want is their satisfaction. Obviously, Eva's like, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to do it at all. And she's warning that Jimmy could be killed. And Regan sneaks into the building. And obviously, he's like, look, Jimmy, please. We've got you now. He lets out a shot. And Regan shoots him back. And he gets killed. And Eve is blaming them and Jimmy for getting shot. And that was the end of the Sweeney. I actually thought this was a hell of an episode. Yeah, I mean, it's a hell of a show, to be honest. Yeah, this particular episode, I thought, was was really, really good. Explored some really interesting topics. And obviously, this is like something that could affect anybody. And it's just, yeah, it's just interesting the way they handled it. I'm sure at the time, it would have been like, we'll just keep it under the rugs and not really let it affect us. And and yeah, it, it was just interesting how they they kind of dealt with that situation and... How they handled it. Next up, Starsky and Hutch. And this show came out in 1975 again. But this time, April 1975. And some of the things happening in the world. Asia's first professional basketball league, the Philippine Basketball Association, plays its first game at the Araneta Coliseum. Bobby Fischer refuses to play a chess match against Anatoloi Karpov giving Karpov the title. Bill Gates and Paul Allen found Microsoft in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Tubby the Tuba was in the cinemas. And Stand By Your Man by Tammy Wynette was in the charts. Starsky and Hutch. So this was a American action TV series created by William Blinn and produced by the Spelling Goldberg Productions. 
The series protagonists were two Southern California police detectives, David Michael Starsky, who was played by Paul Michael Glazer, and the dark-haired Brooklyn transplant and US Army veteran in streetwise manner, and intense, sometimes childlike moodiness, Kenneth Richard Hutchinson, or Hutch, who was played by David Soul, who I believe is a singer as well, singer slash actor. And he's a divorced, blonde, Duluth, Minnesota native with a more reserved and intellectual approach. Under the radio call sign Zebra 3, or Zebra 3, if you're in this country, they were known for usually tearing around the streets of fictional Bay City, California. Much of the series was shot on location in the Los Angeles beach community of San Pedro. The building that was used as the Metropolitan Division Police Headquarters is now San Pedro or Pedro or Pedro City Hall. The characters and even some plot points were based on real-life New York City detectives Lou Talano and John Seppi, who gained notoriety and commendation for their unconventional but effective undercover police work. The show's production team spent considerable time with the two detectives during their daily routines. However, Lou Talano and John Seppi later sued Aaron Spelling's production company and settled out of court for $10,000 each. Why? What did they do? I don't know. Maybe they just thought that they copied them, really. Uh. The vehicle of choice was Starsky's two-door Ford Gran Torino, which was bright red with a large white vector stripe on both sides. Approximately four different cars were used for filming. Earlier shots had red wing mirrors, except the pilot, which had silver mirrors, usually for long shots or footage used in later scenes. Close-ups and later episodes had silver wing mirrors. The Torino was nicknamed the Striped Tomato by Hutch in the episode Snowstorm, and fans subsequently referred to the car by that nickname too. The detective's main confidential informant was the streetwise, ethnically ambiguous, jive-talking Huggy Bear, played by Antonio Fargas, who often dressed in a flashy manner and operated his own bar, first named Huggy Bears and later The Pits. The duo's boss was gruff, no-nonsense but fair, Captain Harold C. Doobie. And in 2004, it was made as a, a movie, and it was directed by Todd Phillips, and it stars as Ben Stiller, as David Garcy, and Owen Wilson as Ken Hutch Hutchinson, and is a film adaptation of the original TV series. In the film's opening weekend, let me see if I can get my tens and units right. It grossed $28,103,367 million in 3,185 theatres. And Starsky & Hutch had gross receipt of $88,237,754 million. Ooh. Tens in units, okay, in the US and Canada, and 82,030,996 million in international markets for a total of, oh my God, 170,268,750 million worldwide. Absolutely botched that. But yeah, tens in units, so classic, classic. Ben Stiller earned a Golden Raspberry Award nomination for Worst Actor, 
And on Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval rating of 62% based on 193 reviews with an average rating of 6 out of 10. The website's critical consensus reads, and I quote, it's uneven and occasionally somewhat aimless, but Starsky and Hutch benefits from Stiller and Wilson's chemistry and a surprisingly warm-hearted script. On Metacritic, the film earned a weighted average score of 55 out of 100 based on 40 reviews, indicating mixed or average reviews. And audiences surveyed by CinemaScore gave the film B grade on a scale of A to F, which isn't too bad. Roger Ebert awarded it three out of four stars. Ebert called it a surprisingly funny movie, the best of the 1970s recycling jobs with one laugh. Are you okay, little pony? Almost as funny as the moment in Dumb and Dumber when the kid figured out his parakeet's head was scotch taped on. I just thought he was so quiet. (laughs) Brian Lowry of Variety magazine wrote, Blessed with sporadic moments of cheeky fun, isn't painful, but seldom advances beyond costumes and hairstyling in terms of creativity. Talk about Starsky and Hutch. Starsky and Hutch, obviously one of the most famous cop duos, I think, ever. The car, the hair, the look, everything's famous, but it's one of those shows I'd never seen. So uh, I think we've done a few of those shows where it's like everyone knows it, hardly anyone's seen it. Uh, of our generation, I mean, not probably not of the previous generation, but completely thoroughly enjoyed this. Thought it was brilliant. Action was, sequences were good. It was funny. It was, yeah, it was. It's a great little show. Um, it was great. I, 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 I would thoroughly recommend this. Yeah, I, I, I did like Starsky and Hutch. I think this, I may have like seen it. I've definitely seen bits of it before, and I'm sure I'd seen like you know old trailers and you know new trailers and knew of the movie and stuff like that but yeah i never sat down and watched a whole episode before yeah that that that, that was what i was uh getting at and uh no honestly i i i i did like it it was very engaging very enjoyable easy to watch it's just yeah like and and the chemistry between um the the two actors david soul and michael glaser or glasser one one thing i one thing i liked is that they always played on the who's who i like that it was very like kind of like no he's starsky i'm hutch you know that kind of thing i really like that because everyone including myself was a bit like which one's which again i kind of did have an idea of it the the the, that starsky was the dark-haired guy yeah and hutch would be uh more sort of blonde and and yeah yeah I, i i didn't really have any troubles like sticking them to like sticking out like we we talk about Cagney and Lacey later again it wasn't something that I could uh I struggled with that it's very easy one was married the other wasn't it was very straightforward one had blonde hair and the other had brown hair and and married they keep reminding the viewers which one's which same with Cagney and Lacey like Cagney and Lacey they always refer to each other as the well, they, they they used to refer to each other by their first names yeah and I think there's like a yeah anyway with and with with yes, I liked Huggy Bear as well. I thought he was. Uh... Was he in the first episode? Because I don't remember the character. Yes, yes, he was. Absolutely, he was in the first episode. It depends on what you watched. As I have to see. Episode. I have to see my notes because I watched this first, right at the beginning of the week. So, unless you watched the movie pilot, 
kick us off and talk about the uh, the pilot because you watched the you watched the movie pilot then. Basically, it starts off. There's two men in a car waiting for someone. Don't kind of know who. And then you see the car pull up, right? The Starskin Hutch Gran Torino car. And you're like, yeah, oh, this is the guys. And then in the car is like this guy and this girl and they kind of make out point, nice view of the city, blah, blah, blah. You know, everyone kind of knows the story there. These two get guys get out of the car, approach it and shoot the crap out of it. But, I mean, they're leaving no prisoners. And you're a bit like, oh, oh okay. I uh, wasn't expecting that because, you know, I wasn't actually sure that that wasn't um starsky so anyway next day same car goes into a place called frankie's gym this is where you notice i thought this was the other way around i think i've written this the wrong way around so uh so hutch is like this fitness freak getting himself and starsky is like less fitness inclined eats a bit of rubbish and hutch doesn't like the um yeah i've written them the wrong way around so hutch doesn't like the muscle car he likes comfort they end up going in the the other car just a normal car, I don't know what it is. In the car, they're doing an inventory, like they've got their smoke grenades, they've got their guns, they've got their handcuffs, evidence bags, blah, blah, blah. Um, and on the travels, they see a guy called Coley, and he's like basically pickpocketing a man, and they catch him doing it, and um, they end up sending him on his way. Basically, when they're driving around and seeing everyone, everyone's really surprised to see them alive. Uh, which may, kind of indicates a case of mistaken identity. Starsky asks a whole bar, "What's what's the crack? Why are you acting all weird?" And then he takes him. He takes. Uh, he makes them all kind of like write on a piece of paper why they think the 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 case is that they're being everyone's being weird. They take Rowley 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 into the back room, and he tells them that it was a hit out on the cops, and he won't say anything. And he said, like, that's all I'm telling you kind of thing, so they end up arresting him. When they go to the police station, they see that the same car is there, and it's riddled with, like, gunshots. And basically, it turns out that there's a guy, uh, a kind of crime lord, that's going to go down for a long time on Starsky's testimony. So that's the whole reason. Before he testifies, they need to get rid of him kind of thing. So. Uh, Captain wants to take them off the streets until the end of the trial. Starsky says, like, no, like, I, I, I don't want that. So they end up going to, like, they go in his car to send a message to the bad guys. Uh, Hutch is uneasy about the whole thing. So Rowley's been trying to make a phone call, but he finally gets through to someone and he gives him some sort of instructions. He says there needs to be one more hit, but it's all a bit cryptic. Starsky and Hutch are on patrol um, and they give a home, homeless crazy man a dollar. This ended up being not, there's no point to it sort of thing. Um, they're getting tailed by someone, so they tried to lose them. Like, proper classic chase scene from, like... And I think this, like, kind of gave birth to, like, the driver games. Just, like, police driving, undercover cops and stuff like that. So they, they lure this guy into a car park, get out, get their guns. And, and basically, this guy was just basically trying to say that this bad guy, the top bad guy, and it wants to meet with you. And the whole thing was just they wanted to deliver a message. Uh, they go to this house, they get attacked by these kind of goons, but they get the better of them. They go into the sauna or steam room where the, where the bad guy is, um, and he's, the bad guy is called Mr. Tallman. Basically, he says there's someone who hates Mr. Tallman, and he's being framed for the whole thing. So they kill Starsky and, Hutch, Starsky and Hutch after the trial. There's no motive to frame Mr. Tallman, so that's why they have to do it before. Um, he offers them sanctuary in the big house so that they cannot be killed, but they refuse. Mr. Tally with Hitman... He gives them positions of Starsky and Hutch. And they're hiding in the grounds of this kind of hotel, but they're kind of staking it out. The hitmen arrive at the hotel. They throw one of them, A man throws a package into a pool. A masked man goes and retrieve it, and Starsky and Hutch go to arrest them. As they go to arrest them, the uh, the hitmen come and attack them, but they shoot the guy that's 
got the mask on. And then just randomly, Star, um, Starsky and Hutch figure out that it's probably an inside job because the guy that was calling whilst he was in jail used in, didn't dial for an outside line. He was dialing for an internal line whilst he was in the police station. So inside the theatre, which is where Huggy Bear probably was, right? Uh, he basically said, they ask about the cops that are baddies. And he says, someone called Steel is fond of the working girls in the police. Um, it wasn't a mistaken identity. Um, and it was supposed to happen to make it look like a mistaken identity. And, and then they go to the morgue and they figure out that the woman that was killed in the car was um, two months pregnant. Um, and they find out that she is in a class with Henderson, who's the, the, the counselor on the case. And she took classes with him. Turns out that they had a thing. She got pregnant and he wanted to do her in. And they had this kind of real big elaborate plan of how to get rid of them and make it look like they're trying to get Starskin Hutch. So they tail Henderson and they end up going to the uh, the, the hotel where the, where the hitmen are. They One of them goes around the back. One of them goes up the fire escape. One of them goes up the, the main stairs. They have a kind of a shootout. Henderson gets shot by the, by the, uh, by the hitmen and like kind of by mistake uh hutch goes into the parking garage and there's a shootout in the garage where the, where both the hitmen get shot um and that's just about the end of the episode like kind of job well done um and at the end nice little comedic bit where hutch decides hutch starsky and hutch say let's go to this like kind of get some food and he says yeah but i don't want to go in your car i'll go in my nice comfy car and he says okay but you're definitely going to follow me this time and then as uh, starsky drives off left hutch just goes straight up because he doesn't want to be with that car. So I watched episode one, so not the pilot, but episode one, and it was called Savage Sunday. And Starsky's like, oh, I don't want to work on a Sunday. I just want to chill out. Basically, there's an old couple in a bar or in a cafe called Sarah and Henny, and they're worried about there's a bomb in their car. And so there's, and then they run into these two criminals is uh, Greg and Greg Morton and Wilbur Sloan. They see the car and they just basically steal it. Little do they know that there's like a stick of dynamite in the car. And obviously the old couple can't obviously report what happened because obviously there's dynamite in the car. And now the two men, they're robbing a liquor store. And they're just basically two chances really who just come, they're, they're, they're from out of town and they're just basically doing anything and everything they can to just earn a quick buck. Well, not earn a quick buck, but steal a quick buck. And Tusky and Hutch catch someone called Milton, who's trying to sell drugs. And they get a call about two robbers, and they go into the scene, and Milton in the car. Two robbers go out and steal again. But obviously, they think they need to change up the car. So Tusky and Hutch are talking to witnesses to find out what happened. Mr. Mills is giving them witnesses. They can't write the number plate down because they don't have a pencil. Because obviously they're like, oh, what's the number plate? And obviously he's like, Starsky, do you have a pencil? And he's like, no, Hutch, I don't have a pencil. Do you have a pencil? And then obviously he's going to try and take a pencil from some random guy, getting the piece of paper and trying to write down the information. So they go to the east side retirement home and they're talking to Sarah and Henny about their car. Henny tells them about the dynamite in the car and that's why they didn't report it. And obviously I think... I don't know if it was a suicide mission or a suicide pack, but Henny's t- t- telling them about how bad the home is. They tried to tell the city about this, but they've been ignored. And so the police are out looking for the car, and Sarah and Henny get taken downtown. 
Now the car is painted green with new number plates. And Starsky and Hutch decide to go see Huggy Bear. And he says, I'm going to make some calls for you guys. Now they're off to a cashier's. I think it's a the, the bookies. And they're all just basically taking all the money from there. And Huggy Bear has a lead for them. I like how Hutch throws away the hot dog while Starsky's driving. Because obviously he's like, oh, I'm hungry. I want to get some food. And obviously they're getting hot dogs, but then obviously now they're on the road. But obviously Hutch is like to Starsky, you're driving. You can't obviously eat and drive. And obviously Starsky's like, yeah, next time I eat, you drive. So little things like that, I, I, I really did like it. I thought, I thought it was great. The bookie guy tells the mechanic, Ted, about the police looking for Greg and Wilbur. And they decide to go talk to Wilbur's ex. She works at a discotheque somewhere. And she's talking about what married life was like. And he's never around, so they had to leave. Greg and Wilbur run into Starsky and Hutch. And they just start shooting. But they end up shooting the tires of Starsky and Hutch. Sarah and Henny are released on bail as the car thieves are, have been identified. And they go to see Ted the mechanic, who's, who's basically the one who uh, did up the car for uh, Wilbur and Greg. And basically they're like, look, you're going to be accessory after the fact if you don't tell us what's going down. And obviously he says, look, I put a higher number plates and I painted the car green. The captain is reluctant to alert the public about a potential bomb going off at 5 p.m. Because they obviously like, look, you need to tell radio stations, you need to tell TV stations so that people can be aware. Then he decides to put it on air. And obviously Starsky's really hungry. And obviously the, the captain has two burgers. And obviously he goes, can I have a burger? And he's like, get your own burger, fool. And then while um, the, the, the captain's gone to make an announcement, Starsky basically swipes the burger and walks off with it. Man calls in to say that he's seen the Chevy at an underground car park and the police are on their way down there. Starsky's driving it out of the way. And obviously, yeah, Starsky just grabs the wheel, gets the car, completely drives it out of the way. The car blows up. Hutch catches up with Greg and Wilbur. He ends up shooting Greg, goes after Wilbur, corners Wilbur. I think he shoots him in like the uh, the shoulder and cuffs him. Councilman Brown is going to Eastside to see what the conditions are like. And he sees how bad the food is. Because he's like, oh, thank you for coming for lunch. And obviously he's trying to eat the lunch, but it's all disgusting. And he says basically, okay, okay, I get the point. I'm going to go make some calls and I'll see what I can do. And they all end up having takeaway. And Sarah and Henny, they get off on a, with a, a slap of the wrist and they're on probation. And Huggy Bear's out to them, do you guys fancy trying some soul food? So they eat some ham hocks and black-eyed peas. Then I watch an episode called Starsky and Hutch are Guilty. And so there's two people who are disguised as Starsky and Hutch. They go to see someone called Oscar. They end up attacking him outside a guy's house. And they're using the name Starsky and Hutch. They beat him to within an inch of his life. Chief wants to see them both. And he's like, yeah, you two are in big, big trouble. And they're asking about someone called Oscar. And they're and Cersei and Hutch are being accused of attacking someone. And obviously they're like, what the hell are you talking about? We haven't attacked anybody called Oscar. We don't know what's happening. And so they basically do some digging of their own. They're going across the street 
to where the attack happened and they tried to prove their innocence. And the lady there insists, it's like, I saw you too. Don't lie. I'm not going to change my story. Now they're going to some dude's house and they're basically saying, look, we heard what's happening and what's going on. Then we see the fake Starskin Hutch they're saying in a hotel and they need to stay by the phone. And they find out that the person that they attacked is still alive somehow. And now they're going to investigate some complaints from neighbors. And it's a lady called Nikki. And she tells them that the streets are basically saying that Starsky and Hutch are bent. And obviously they're like, it's not true. And she's like, obviously she has to move because obviously the operation that she's running is basically not, not, a, not a good operation. So the fake Starsky and Hutch were following them. And they go to Nikki's house and they just basically beat her up. And she ends up finding a complaint against Starsky and Hutch. She's like, it's definitely them. And the chief is like, I want them suspended. I want them out of here. But obviously, Starsky and Hutch are like, look, we're being framed. And the, the, the captain is basically like, look, hang in there, guys. I know you just need to hang in there. Hutch goes to his house and he finds the cleaning lady, Fifi, cleaning up. And she says that someone left an envelope for Hutch and it's basically a, a wad of cash. And Starsky is seeking legal advice from someone called Sharon. And she's basically trying, and he's obviously trying to find out what's going on, what, what what's they basically, what's their case. And they uh, investigate the money that was given to Hutch, and it was used at, from a bank robbery in Mandalay Heights. And we find out that Sharon is playing both sides, and she's the one that's basically hiring the two fake Starsky and Hutch to basically mess with them. The case against Starsky and Hutch is falling apart. Because uh, one of the main witness guys, he goes to Detroit. The lady who was across the street has 2080 vision, which I think apparently means that she's 80% rubbish and 20% good vision. There's a, a lady who's been attacked at a uh, massage parlor, but they weren't even in the neighborhood when it happened. And obviously, they're like, look, the people are getting desperate because we were, because normally when they were attacking, it was always like just after. Starskin Hutch leave, then the fake Starskin Hutch would show up. But this time they go into a completely random place and they weren't even there when it happened. And there's a guy who's outside, Mr. Clemp, and he's like, I saw, I saw you. And and you even bumped into me and go, Hey, you wanna you wanna punch in the mouth, huh? And then obviously the the fake Starskin Hutch going, Hey, Hutch, let's go, Hutch. And he's like, Oh, okay, Starsky. Making it incredibly bait. Starsky and Hutch are trying to go to the hospital to see Oscar but he sadly passed away from his injuries and they're doing some more digging and decide to call Sharon and obviously Starsky and Hutch initially thought that the chief might be framing him but he isn't and that's when we learn more about what's going on because Starsky and Hutch are meant to be giving evidence at a trial of a young boy who was caught flashing in public and it turns out that young boy is a somebody and his dad is like someone really higher up. And his dad works for the legal office and Sharon. So Sharon, who's like the lawyer helping them, they find out that she's part of the whole conspiracy. She's been playing both sides. Now that the next hit is going to be Judith at the massage parlor. Starsky and Hutch go after the fakes and they catch them. And yeah, it ends with Starsky going home and he's looking for his Fats Domino records. 
but it looks like he's lost them and he's been burgled. And that's the end of that episode. Does the name Fats Domino ring a bell to you in any way, shape or form? One of the greatest, uh, what was I say, rock and roll? One of the greatest rock and roll stars, soul music, rock and roll, like the early days. Like he was probably around in like the 1940s and 50s. You might have heard Blueberry Hill. It's like a really, really uh, famous, famous, famous song of his. But yeah, Fats Domino, absolute musical legend. Yeah, I've heard Blueberry Hill, sorry. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a classic song by uh, Fats Domino. But yeah, Blueberry Hill is like, every, I, I think everybody knows Blueberry Hill. Yeah, so the finale was uh, Sweet Revenge. There's a, a board meeting with someone called, I wrote his name down. James Marshall Gunther. He's basically talking, to, and, the, and the meeting is about how this company has made earnings and derivatives and all those geeky words to do with economics that I have no idea what any of them means. And so Mr. Gunther is like, yeah, I don't really care about earnings and losses. This is all because of Starsky and Hutch. I, they always ruin my plans. So he puts a hit on them. And he's like, I want them dead. There's a slow day at the station. Captain's trying to talk to Starskin Hutch. And they're basically like, yeah, we could talk to us later. We're going to go out to dinner. And Hutch has to buy Starsky food because he loses a table tennis match. There's people disguised as police officers in the police car. Hutch realizes that there's something not right. And so he's like, duck, duck, duck. And they try to shoot. And basically they, they, they gun down Starsky. And... He's like seriously hurt and he is in a coma. He has to be put in a coma. Hutch is not coping very well with what's happened. And he's at the do- he's at the hospital. He notices a rogue doctor and he's basically in the hospital to try and finish the job. But Hutch gets to him on time and the rogue doctor gets away. Well, I think he gets caught. Hutch is going to see someone called Jenny and he's basically saying, is there anything you know? And he's basically threatening to uh, take her in. No, because he goes to the, um, Hutch decides to go to the car park of the hospital. He almost walks into a trap, but he basically apprehends the guy and he's, and and the guy's like, look, there's someone called Jenny Brown. She's the one, go after her. And they learn that there's a code blue. So meanwhile, back at the hospital, it's like code blue, code blue. And Starsky's having a cardiac arrest. And Captain is basically telling Hutch to get to the hospital right away. Hutch rushes to the hospital and Starsky is still alive. Mr. Gunther is furious about this. And there's a potential witness who ends up getting shanked in prison. Hutch, who's looking for Jenny Brown. And there's basically someone who's bailed Jenny out. Huggy Bear catches up with Hutch and he ends up getting all of the all the calls made by someone and so Hutch is making a call to someone called Bates he obviously realizes who he's talking to and he's talking to uh, Gunther Industries and very powerful people and one of them is Bates and Captain hasn't eaten in days and because he's just worried sick about Starsky Hutch is trying to talk to Starsky and Starsky starts to wake up Basically, Mr. Gunther, he's talking to his uh, guy, Bates, and he's giving coffee to Bates, and it turns out to be poison. 
Hutch is still working out the case and he's making lots of noise and he's trying to realize how to connect all the dots together. And Hutch has to go to San Francisco to go see Mr. Gunther. And he basically has a little scrap with him. He puts handcuffs on him. He's like, look, I'm arresting you now. And Hutch goes back to see Starsky and brings him some food. Then the captain brings some more food. Huggy Bear comes into the hospital room with alcohol and a fancy lamp. And they're all basically having a good time in the hospital. And Huggy Bear's lamp was attached to the uh, sprinkler. And obviously, because it's fire sensitive, it just basically makes the room like a swimming pool. And they're all laughing. And that's how Starsky and Hutch came to an end. Bloody good show, to be honest. Definitely want to watch the movie, see how that holds up. <laughs> what was I going to say? Yeah, this was this was a really, really fun show. The chemistry between the two were great. It lived up to its iconic billing, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. Definitely did. And uh, yeah, really, really good show. Last but not least, Cagney and Lacey. So this came out in March 1982 and some of the things happening in the world. The United States places an embargo on Libyan oil imports, alleging Libyan state-sponsored terrorism. Argentine scrap metal workers raise the flag of Argentina on South Georgia in the Falkland Islands. All nine planets recognized at the time in 1982 align on the same side of the sun, which I believe might be the first time. And it's known as Sizji. I'm not sure if I've said that right. Sizji. S-Y-Z-G-Y. No, S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. Sizji. Porky's was in the cinemas. And Ain't No Pleasing You by Chaz and Dave was in the charts. I do like a bit of Chaz and Dave as well. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, they're all right. But I mean, they're one of those bands that is sometimes... You, you put them on your playlist and they'll stay there for about a day. And then they'll be off it again. No. Yeah, they definitely have some skippers on there. Like what? Rabbit. That's a great song. If it comes on anywhere other than your playlist, you'll listen to it. But if it comes on in your playlist... Snooker Loopy as well was one of my faves. Snooker Loopy, nuts are we. We are Snooker Loopy. Cagney and Lacey now. So this was a American police procedural drama series about two New York police detectives who lead very different lives. Christine Cagney who was uh, originally Sharon Gless, and then I think it was someone else. She's a career-minded single woman, while Mary Beth Lacey, played by Tin Daly, she's a married working mother. The series is set in the fictionalized version of Manhattan's 14th precinct town, known as Midtown South. And producer Barney Rosenweig, if I said the name wrong, I apologize. He was influenced by the feminist movement through his then-girlfriend, Barbara Corday, who recommended to him Molly Haskell's book From Reverence to Rape. After learning through Haskell that there had never been a female buddy film, Rosenweig sought to make one, a comedy initially titled Newman and Redford, before changing the title for legal reasons. Corday and Barbara Avedon wrote the script, and no studio wanted to make the film, so Corday considered taking it to television. Rosenweig took the script, removed the main plot, leaving only the character development. I took it to all networks, but only CBS picked it up. The first season main titles are accompanied by the theme song, Ain't That The Way, 
by Michael Stoll, sung by Marie Kane, and shows the two lead characters being promoted to plainclothes detectives and later disguised as prostitutes. This was replaced the following season by an instrumental theme composed by Bill Conti. Obviously, if you uh, watch Rocky, then uh, Bill Conti's uh, fingerprints were all over the, uh, the soundtrack. And it's set to a collage of action and comical scenes featuring the characters from the series. Cagney and Lacey premiered in 1982 with high hopes from the industry in the wake of the TV movie. Reviews of the series, however, with Meg Foster in place of Loretta Swift were mixed. Critics praised the level of storytelling, but put emphasis on the aggressiveness that both Daly and Foster expressed with their characters. As soon as the six-episode order was finished in late April, CBS cancelled the program due to poor ratings. Exec producer Barney Rosenweig was determined to reverse the network's decision, and he did. And TV Guide celebrated the show's return with the cover reading, Welcome back, Cagney and Lacey. You want them, you've got them. The show finished in the top 10 for the 1983-84 season and went on to earn 36 Emmy Award nominations and 14 wins throughout its run until 1988, including six nominations each for stars Daly and Gless, four wins for Daly and two for Gless. The series itself won two consecutive Emmy Awards for Best Drama Series in 1985 and 1986. The show ratings leveled out to where it hovered around 30th place in the Nielsen's during seasons 46, a period where many state the show to have been in its creative peak. The series was followed by four television movies, which reunite the characters Christine Cagney and Mary Beth Lacey. In the storyline, Cagney has been promoted to lieutenant and is now working at the district attorney's office as a special investigator. Lacey, meanwhile, has retired from the police force. However, at Cagney's urging, and partly due to Mary Beth's strained financial circumstances, Mary Beth agrees to work for the DA's office as well, thereby reuniting their old partnership. So, Cagney and Lacey. Really good show. Another one. Another like three banging shows this week. It was a slightly slower pace than the other two, has to, has to be said. But yeah, still still a great little show. Surprised that you know, it got cancelled for low ratings because I thought it was a, a pretty cool little show. And it had, uh, what's his name in it, didn't it? Cobra Kai. Was, I can't for, completely forgot his name. Oh my God, he's great. I love him. I, I, I think he's just the best. What is his name <laughs> in Cobra Kai and Karate Kid? I can't. John Kreese. Yes, Kreese. That's the one. Yeah. Martin Cove. <laughs> it... Shout out to Martin Cove. He is great. Because it took me a little while to realize it was him. And then I was like, oh my God. What's his what name? What do you mean it took you to realize it was him? It was him. He was... Uh, yeah, but it wasn't that. It was, I was just wasn't expecting him to see him. Looking. Oh, you just. Uh, I, I mean, the only thing that kind of stumped me maybe was his name, but like his face. His mannerisms, it's, it's all the same. But that's because, first of all, I was a bit like, he looks really familiar. No, he looks really familiar as like Brian Blessed in The Sweeney. You should look at him and think. I saw Brian Blessed in the credits beforehand in the opening title sequence. And I was like, Brian Blessed, who's he? And then he came on screen and I was like. You should have looked at Uzbeki. That was his name in uh, Cagney and Lacey. That was his name. And you should have looked at him and you should have literally thought, there will be no weakness in my dojo. <laughs> there will be no mercy in my dojo. Yeah, so it, it didn't take me that long. But yeah, I was quite pleasantly surprised to see him in it, to be honest. Strike first, strike hard. No mercy. 
Yeah, I mean, I might have to go back and watch Cobra Kai. It wasn't... Cobra Kai was... I think a lot of people liked it a lot more than I did. What? Be- behave. Cobra Kai is awesome. Yeah, see, this is exactly what reaction I got when I told my brother about the fact. I was like, yeah, it's all right. Behave, all right? Behave. Cobra Kai is awesome, okay? And I cannot wait for the new series. Is it actually coming out? In uh, December, I believe. Did we speak about Bob Odenkirk last week? I think it was a heart attack, but I think his brother tweeted, said that he's going to be okay. Oh, that's good, because I... Do you know what? Not see, even seeing Better Call Saul through... No pun intended, but it's all good, man. <laughs> so, uh, Better Call Saul is one of the best TV shows I've ever watched in my life. In fact, probably the best TV show. I think, I think it's matched Breaking Bad. I think it's probably better than Breaking Bad, but it needs Breaking Bad. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's the final season that they've... It is, yeah. So I'm, do you know what? I'm so looking forward to it. The final scene has to be Walter walking into Saul Goodman's office. Do you reckon? That has to be the last scene. The last ever scene of Better Call Saul is when Walter walks in. Dressed uh, in a hat. Yeah, he's he's a criminal lawyer, man. That's why I love him. He's a criminal lawyer. Totally joking with you. Right, yeah. So Cagney and Lacey. Um I I could understand why there was low ratings because if you're on TV and you're used to two men being in a buddy cop film and then you see two women, a lot of people are gonna turn off. And obviously I don't agree with that because my impression was watching it was I really liked it. I thought I thought they were great, the chemistry was great. Didn't matter who Cagney or Lacey was in terms of the actresses. They did a, a stellar job telling the story. But yeah, at the time, in, in, in 1982, even then, it may have been too soon. But I quite like the fact that they were traversing the fact, you traversing real issues. And a lot of people pretend that this isn't an issue, which I don't like. But the, but the fact that Lacey is a wife and a, and, and a mother. I did like that. And she has to balance those responsibilities with being at work and in a dangerous job. And so she won't take any unnecessary risk. Whereas Cagney is obviously the complete opposite, right? She's single. She's single. She has no responsibilities, no children, no husband. And I like the fact that they didn't shy away from it. Do you, know, you know what I mean? A lot of people would say, oh, yeah, you could just go get a job. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in reality... We all have other responsibilities, and I really like the the, the uh, juxtaposition between the two. And obviously, for for a lot of lot of viewers, they'll think buddy cop is 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 two men. It has to just always be two males. It can't be two women. It will never work. No, 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 no. But I do praise the producer's determination for saying, "Look, I'm going to get this on TV. I'm going to get this to stick. People will see it for what it is." It's going to bang and people are going to like it. And all the awards that they've won, records speak for themselves. But if you say Cagney and Lacey, Starsky and Hutch, the Sweeney, whoever it is, they hold up, right? It's not like, do you see what I mean? To be fair, for I'd, I'd, I'd heard the name Cagney and Lacey as a kid. Even as a kid, I thought it might have just been two guys. It would have never occurred to me it was two women. It would have never occurred to me that they were called... Mary, Mary, Beth, Lacey, and Christine Cagney. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I think it's one of those things that's often quoted, hardly ever seen again. Like, which is thing. 
in our, you know, within our, with our age group and generation and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I'm glad that we managed to get these watched. No, absolutely. And like I said, I, I really liked it, really enjoyed it. And it kind of also not, not even just like the juxtaposition between what a woman, one woman who is married with children and has to kind of go home with her responsibilities and the other one who's a career go-getter, ambitious woman. It's also, I think they were like kind of juggling the system as well. So obviously they want to make chief detective. They want to move up the chains, but the fact that they're women, they're not going to get as much opportunities. Yeah. Which is great because it's also, it speaks a lot for what obviously even now what's going on, but also the struggle to get the TV show on the, in the first yeah, place, yeah, you yeah. know, it's, it's the characters going through what the people were going through in the first place to get this on TV. Oh yeah. yeah, Great. It's it, it, it all kind of like comes all, all together and it, and they kind of explain that really, really well. So, uh, right. Let's dive right into episodes. Right. So I watched episode one and it was called, you call this plain clothes. They're in an undercover mission and to give a little background and I'm sure I'll explain this later, but there's a serial killer on the loose. It's, that's killing prostitutes. Can I say, is that even a, I'm allowed to say prostitutes anymore? Well, I wrote ladies of the night. Yeah, that's exactly what I wrote. Yeah. So ladies of the night. Yeah. Sex workers, ladies of the night. I mean, no offense when I'm saying these things, you know, I'm just saying what I, yeah. Anyway, so they're dressed as ladies of the night. Uh, they call off the night and basically head to a car. This guy comes out of nowhere and says, oh, I'm being tailed. Can you help me out? I need you to drop this package off. And they're like, right, you're under arrest for a start because that's naughty. Uh, they go to the police station. They say the boss basically don't want to do this anymore. They don't want to be dressed up late in the night. Uh, they basically say, what do we have to do to prove ourselves? And like, you know, being female cops and stuff like that. So Chris, which is Cagney, says that she, yeah, Chris says that she, um, I've, I've called him Cagney and Lacey later on, by the way, just for reference to the title. So she can make the guy they arrested roll on the top guy. She's kind of play, basically playing on the fact that they're women and then they, they, you know, the more sensitive side that they can get into this guy's head kind of thing. So Mark Petrie, policeman, he's at a murder scene and this woman has been hacked up and it's like the worst it's ever seen. So Cagney and Lacey get sent to the murder scene and the governor basically says like, I'll put them off, basically. I'll put them off being wanted, wanted to be homicide detectives. Cagney says that she's going to throw up and Lacey says like, don't you dare because we've got a point to prove here. So Lieutenant Bert Samuels is the one that's put them on there. So he basically puts them on dress up duty um so they can lure this maniac the guy that hacked so basically the, they, they figure out that the guy who hacked up the woman the woman had had no recent sexual activity which means that he's not after the body he just wants to kill him everyone who's given advice on what to do petri says don't be a hero that's what the mic's for call us in victor is acting like the hero he's 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 um he's saying um yeah he's basically saying that he'll come in and save the day if should they get into any trouble and then they're like yeah whatever so cagney is still trying um the go the guy that they arrested uh lacy doesn't want to um to get involved in this she's she says i'm going to do dinner with my husband you can come if you want to uh and this was when she says that she doesn't want to go above and beyond because she's a mother she's a mother wife cop is what she says so in, and, and in that order she mother first then she's a wife then she's a cop <laughs> they're having dinner with the husband um, both Cagney and Lacey have dinner with her husband and he basically says right that's it I don't want you to talk about this anymore I don't want you to no shop talk 
Uh, I want to have a nice conversation with you and not talk about this rubbish whilst I'm trying to eat my dinner. And then the phone rings and then the Cagney says, oh, I was expecting the call actually. It's probably for me. And he goes, look, I'll get the phone. And then he comes back and says, oh yeah, by the way, it's, it's for you. They go back out on an undercover mission. They get one guy on the hook, but it's not the right guy because he wants him to take the clothes off. Uh, Uncle Seamus, they back at the station, Uncle Seamus calls Cagney and says, oh, by the way, Uncle Vinny's got a new job. She doesn't really have an Uncle Seamus and she's been working on the guy uh, Marleone behind Vinnie Manconi. Oh, Manconi. I put Marleone. Manconi. Vinnie Manconi behind the back. The ladies go back to see a man in the street and he's the guy. Oh, yes. Yeah, so basically, they, they meet up with him and he says that um, they convince him that they can help. And if they help them, then basically he'll get off of what he did before. They're basically playing the, the kind of good cop, bad cop here. And they're pretending to be bad. She's like, oh, um, this is uh, Lacey here saying, oh, I'm such a bad bad police officer i shouldn't be able to do this and you know kind of real playing on her feminine side he feels sorry about it but he's not giving anything up uh, not giving anything up yet but he calls him later and and gives him a uh, a name no sorry he gives him the the uh whilst they're out he meets up with him again and he says that there's a boat coming in with loads of drugs on it and they said they'll put in a good word at the da's office so kekany goes to confessional and tells the priest then a woman gets shot very kind of another lady in the night gets shot, but you don't, it's not kind of reference. So Lacey takes a man into um, her bedroom again, you know, kind of like a one on the hook kind of thing. They arrest him. Then she goes into the bathroom and then she kind of finds the body. Lacey doesn't like it, like the job, but Cagney does. So Lacey goes home to her supportive husband. Cagney stays on the job um, against the will of Lacey. She doesn't really realize she's doing it. Um, and then she says, right, let's call it a night, guys. Let's all go home. And then the killer comes, it was quite a scary moment, comes into her window of the hotel room that she's in. Uh, and then she basically does him in. She kind of like kicks his behind. Uh, it's quite a cool little moment. Then when Lacey finds out, she's like furious that she stayed behind without any backup and she couldn't help her and stuff like that. She goes, what would have happened if you'd have died kind of thing uh they have a nice touching moment and that's the end of the first episode really really good first episode very like like i said slower pace than the other two it has to be said but apart from that it was really good you can you get to learn the characters and they're very very likable and i believe i went to season three episode one matinee and it's a new cagney it's not the same uh, actress but uh it is what it is but uh yeah it starts off with a man Mr. White, I think his name is. And he's worried about his wife missing in New York. He believes that she went to a matinee with her girlfriends. Cagney is, is basically going to talk to Helen. Helen was the one missing and she's going to Helen's friends. And then she's driving past her old hometown and she's feeling very nostalgic. The ladies, Helen's friends, don't sound too bothered about Helen being missing. She's just like, mm. she went to a matinee. Yeah. And then if you'll excuse us, we have tennis. Uh, he's just not really bothered by it. Cagney and Petrie are laughing at his Becky because he ends up messing up his suit after making uh, an arrest. There's a car thief that comes in called David. And he ends up being apprehended by his Becky. And the car thief happens to be the son of the lieutenant. And so the lieutenant's like basically punching his son. Like, what the hell are you playing at? And he just basically has him locked up. Cagney and Lacey go to look at a body that was been found at a hotel. 
and Cagney has to make the call to Mr. White and obviously he's like to Lacey, you're the compassionate one and obviously Lacey's like, no, you're going to do it. So Cagney's making the call and they tell him that they found his wife. They're going to the Manchester Hotel to ask questions and the lieutenant's wife or ex-wife, Thelma, she's trying to come to bail her son out but the lieutenant is like, no, he has to learn the con- he has to learn the consequences. Though she's like, that's your son. You're going to keep him locked up in a jail. And he's like, he broke the law. What do you want me to do? He's got to learn that actions have consequences. And it was very complicated because obviously it's your son. But what do you do if he's broken the law? It's a double-edged sword. Now Cagney and Lacey are going back to Helen's friends because now it's a, a murder case. And obviously she's like, you guys were the last people to see her alive. Which then makes you suspects. And obviously that's how we're going to play it. And then we find out that Helen was wrong with... Ellen. Helen was involved with, with, with the wrong people. And apparently now her friends are now material witnesses. And uh, her friends are worried that, that their husbands are going to find out. Because obviously they were just basically out cavorting with men and of things of that nature. And Cagney's driving past a huge house that she used to live in, but she doesn't have the best memories of it. Albert's trying to talk to his son, David, inside the prison cell, but David's whistling and he's not really interested in what he has to say. Lacey's trying to talk to Harvey in bed, but he's not really listening and she gets annoyed. Cagney and Lacey are talking to Mr. White and he basically finds a blackmail letter and compromising pictures and now they're taking it to forensics and they're basically saying that the man who may have done it he's got a big scar on his face he's tall with a dark complexion and they can find him in a strip joint called the mail room on bleaker street they find their guy but and lacy wants to like take it to the boss but cagney's like look we don't have enough evidence we can't really do anything and they're saying that surely that they need an accomplice who helped the killer. So they're going back to the hotel. David ends up being released from jail. And then Albert's just basically having a, a moment. And he's snapping at Cagney about kids and they're not the best to their parents. And he's just like to her, why don't you call your mother? And they're talking to a defense lawyer and he's poking holes at the case. There's not enough evidence. And there's definitely reasonable doubt here. And Cagney and Lacey are going to uh, Mr. White and they're updating him about the case. And so they're basically walking him through everything. And it, and they sh- and it, and it comes to light that Mr. White was the one who killed his wife. And he ends up getting caught. And they're happy that they solved the case. Albert's still cut up about his son. So Cagney goes to talk to him. And she basically tells him, um, actually, um, my mother is, is, is not alive anymore, but I do wish that I called her more and I spoke to her more. Albert then decides to go off in a hurry with the siren on and Cagney decides to call her brother in California. And that's how that episode came to an end. That was my lot. It was, it was a great little show. Like I said, the only, the only letdown on the show was pacing. Yeah, it it was it was it was pretty slow. I'm not I'm not gonna lie, but it didn't it didn't really bother me that much. It didn't really, yeah. Let's uh, let's rank these shows now from three to one. So my favorite probably was Starsky and Hutch, followed by 
the Sweeney purely on the pacing compared with the two action sequences and stuff like that, because I think the other two would mix the interludes would be quite action based, but the, but these interludes weren't. So yeah, so Cagney and Lacey was last for me, but literally as I said, so minor, so nitpicky, but yeah, for me, that was my order. I thought the Sweeney was slow for me initially when I was watching it. I thought that was a little bit slow for me, but yeah, that's my number three was the Sweeney. But again, it was very, very good and no real complaints on that one. My number two is Cagney and Lacey. I'm glad I watched it and it, and it, and it didn't disappoint. And yeah, Starsky and Hutch. Don't get a better body cop duo than Starsky and Hutch, really. So I think they were, yeah, they they were definitely the best. And uh, yeah, honestly, three really really good shows. And yeah, go out of your way and 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 watch them all. Honestly, you you won't be disappointed. And on that bombshell, we'll bring this episode to an end. Yesterday's Capers is available wherever you get your podcast from. We're available on all of the. Uh, podcast platforms streaming wherever you get your podcast from you can find us on the socials on instagram it's uh yesterday's capers one on instagram yesterday capers on twitter youtube.com forward slash yesterday's capers facebook.com forward slash yesterday's capers you can find me on instagram abdullah underscore molim you can find me on twitter abdullah molim all one word Give me a holler, give me a shout, and join us next time for another episode of Yesterday's Capers. <laughs>